0: this thing that is but we often cannot see too close for us to see the magnitude the glory of this structure we often see the detail but not the stretching sweeping scale of the thing it wraps us up holds us so we consider it gentle warm kind we do not see though the violent nature the wrath and hate for the converse, our sin. We do not see the scale. We touch what is visible through our tunnel eyes and say, grace. But we see only a fragment of the grand scandalous tapestry that God has woven together over time, the fabric of the world itself, the very reason the stars are strung together. When we choose to put one foot in front of the next. Its grace, this gracious glory buried within us, beating on our ribs to speak of his wonder. With this touch, life is given. The giver's love is this cloak, this sea of blue-green forgetfulness, this face of majesty, the crackling, roaring thunder, grace, his sound, glory, his bright display, Creates and finds us and we're found. The split curtain, the opened back, the mingling blood and water, the flood that destroys the world we've built, all the earth submitting to his power, the cross, grace wrapped in triumphant glory. He is the eyes shut embrace the driving rain, the wind blows, but only at his word, and this same fury, this sin thrashing storm, is the tempest that bows to wash our feet, and this same fury, this sin thrashing storm, is the tempest that bows to wash our feet.
1: is the tempest that bows to wash our feet. Amazing grace. About a year ago, I heard a message by Bill Hybels at Willow Creek on grace, and it was so powerful in my life. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, this is a message that we all need to hear. This is truth that we all need to hear. So I've adapted it for us here this morning, and I want you to take out this sheet that says that has the song Amazing Grace on it. And and on one side, there's some blanks that we're going to fill in, and on the other side are the notes. Um... Again, if, if there is a, a family member who's old enough to write, I think it would be great for them to, to follow along with us here. This is the song Amazing Grace. It was written in 1779. You can see that right there on the top left of the song sheet. And then there's a blank space on the other side, on the right-hand side at the top. I would like you to put your name there. I would like you to put your formal name there. So I would put David Keith Anderson. So put your formal name there. Write it so that you can read it if you can. (laughs) Put your formal name there. And then if you look down on that next section there, the first lines of notes, I'd like you to number those verses. Uh, The verse 1 starts out, Amazing grace. Put a 1 in front of that line. T'was grace that taught my heart. Put a 2 in front of that line. And then finally, when we've been there, put a 3 in front of that line. And keep your pen ready, because I'm going to ask you to underline things and and think about things and fill in blanks as we go through. Now, you can see it was written by John Newton in 1779. 237 years ago, this song was written, and it continues to be popular in our culture today. I would guess that Amazing Grace is sung hundreds of thousands, if not millions of times, all over the world, every year, in every language. And it continues to be a popular song. Joan Baez sang it at Woodstock, 1969. Elvis sang it in Vegas. Willie Nelson sang it at the Grand Ole Opry. And Johnny Cash sang it in prisons all over the United States. This song crosses every chasm of every kind, and yet it only contains five notes. The melody line only contains five notes and it is equally compelling when played by a full orchestra or by a single instrument such as a violin or a bagpipe most that uh make the most make the observation when analyzing the lyrics of this song about its contrasting poetic language to its common street talk So look at verse 3 right there, and I want you to look at these words. When we've been there. I want you to underline the next phrase. 10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years. Listen to the poetry here. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Now underline the next three words now. We've no less days. No less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. What a beautiful line. What beautiful poetry there is. And then there's the street language. Look at verse number one. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. A what? A wretch. For you kids in here, it just means really, really naughty. Wretch means that. When's the last time you heard a song that jumped into the top ten with the word wretch in it? Or or ever will. I doubt that that will ever occur. Now the song Amazing Grace was penned by a ship captain who made his living transporting slaves from Africa to England. John Newton. Not Isaac Newton, the gravity guy. Not Cam Newton, the football guy. Sorry, Panthers fans. And not a Fig Newton. John Newton. John Newton. And John was looking for a job, and this job came up, and and without really thinking about it much, he took the job as this ship's captain hauling slaves from Africa to England. And then later, he ran into this astonishing commodity called Grace. Grace. The day that he understood grace was the day that the trajectory of his life completely changed. It completely changed. And later when he wrote this song, he thought about who he used to be. And he could have used hundreds and hundreds of different words to describe this old John Newton, but the one he chose was the word wretch. Do you think he was being a little tough on himself? A woman's profile on Twitter some time ago described herself as the wretch they wrote the song about. Yikes. I bet there's a backstory to her life and I don't really want to know it. Do, do any of you ever think of yourselves as a wretch? I mean, honestly, um, wretches, we see wretches on the evening news. Wretches are rapists and child molesters and murderers and bombers and terrorists We don't think of ourselves as wretches. That doesn't really fit us. The backstory of the life of John Newton shows the day that he understood the blazing brilliance of the holiness of God. The moment he contemplated for the very first time that the God of the universe that he was exploring was, get this, perfect, spotless, nothing wrong with the God of the universe. Totally righteous, absolutely perfect in every regard. And the more Newton thought about how perfect God was, the more he thought about himself in comparison, well, honestly, in comparison to a perfect, righteous All-knowing God, John Newton was down about here and he describes himself as a wretch. Now, please hear this. He's not beating himself up. Don't think that for a moment. He was just benchmarking himself instead of against his peers, against a perfect and righteous and holy God it knocked him off of his self-righteous perch in fact and he saw himself for who he really was when he saw the holiness of God for the first time it kind of blew his mind it blew his mind and that's the power of benchmarking that's the force of grace. Now, I had a mind-blowing experience of my own one time, a little benchmarking on the basketball court, we shall say. You know, when I was in high school, I was pretty good at basketball. Uh, We won the state championship my junior year. I averaged 25 points a game, shot 23 for 23 from the free throw line for the first three games at the state tournament in Casper. I was pretty good, and I thought I was pretty good. In fact, I got to thinking, you know, after that season, man, Maybe I could play for the University of Wyoming, and maybe then I could go on to play in the NBA. I mean, really, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, none of that ever happened. I, I didn't really get the chance to do that, but, but when, when I was living here, about, about the year 2000, I'm not exactly sure the time frame on this, but the year 2000, um, somebody close to me came up to me and asked me if I would play on the basketball team, the county basketball team that was going to play against the Harlem Ambassadors. Now, I know that they're coming again, and actually somebody called and asked me if I would play again, hmm. having benchmarked myself. Um, so anyway, um, I, I'm on this team, and we're playing, and before we play the game, one of the Harlem ambassadors like, lays down the rules. You know, He's like, here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do. And one of the things that he said that we couldn't do, or that we, well, he said don't do this. He said, if you ever see us go up for a dunk, just, just let us go. Stay out of our way, essentially, is what he said. Now, most of you that know me know that I'm a competitive person. And having this view in my own mind of how good of a basketball player I am, this guy, I don't remember who it was. that was Curly, I suppose. No, they didn't have names on their team like that. But he's on a fast break, and I'm on his tail. And I know he's going to go up, and he's going to dunk it. And I know I'm going to go up, and I'm going to swap that ball out of his hands into the seats. Didn't happen. In fact, today, in today's culture, they call it getting posturized. Yeah, that happened to me. He annihilated me. I ended up on the floor. He could have ended up on the floor. And and I got all kinds of nasty, dirty looks and reprimand from the Harlem ambassadors because they're like, what are you doing? You are, a, and I'm even older today, you are an old man. So, Here's what happened. Here, here's As I think of myself, and I think of these visions of the NBA, right? Um, these Harlem ambassadors are Harlem ambassadors because they couldn't cut it in the NBA, right? They would be earning millions of dollars if they could, but instead, they are less than the NBA. So these guys aren't the NBA. In fact, I think if they played the worst NBA team, they would probably lose every time. And then you think about the worst NBA teams, I think probably the Denver Nuggets are one of them. If they were to play the best NBA team, like the Golden State Warriors or the San Antonio Spurs, I bet out of 25, they'd be lucky to win one time. I mean, it's being benchmarked. And, and the, the question that, that I have for us this morning is, have you benchmarked yourself before a holy, righteous God. You see, up to that point, I'd never benchmarked my ability to play basketball, and once I did, I realized I had vastly overrated myself. I I found out how deceived a human being can actually be. Today, of course, I use the excuse that I'm too old and my knees hurt, but I realize that even today, I would be second best to most of the basketball players in Goshen County. Using John Newton's words, I was not a world-class basketball player. I wasn't even close to a semi-pro basketball player. I was somewhere down here in the wretched class of basketball players. I wasn't close to being in the pool of almost good enoughs. I was, and certainly am now, at the bottom of the list. Amazing grace, Newton writes, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton didn't wake up one day and realize that his profession, being a slave ship captain, was immoral. No, he read the pages of scripture and comprehensively and absolutely understood the truth of, a ho- of the holiness of God and he thought to himself, I'm even worse than my profession. I'm immoral. Compared to God's perfection, I'm a wretch. And then he starts thinking about it more. He may have read Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, which talks about God in this way. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he God always and only tells the truth. And Newton thought, I lie. I lie a lot. God loves with a perfect love. Newton thought, I love imperfectly. In fact, sometimes I even hate people. God is patient. Newton goes, I'm often short-tempered. God is always gracious and forgiving. Newton says, I seek revenge and I hold a grudge. God is impartial. Newton says, I'm prejudiced. Look what I did for a living. God is totally pure. I am so far from being totally pure. On and on the comparisons go. Newton gets to the end and he throws up his hands and he says, benchmark me against my colleagues, against my peers, and I just might make the cut, but benchmark me against a holy, perfect God. And I am a wretch. I'm a wretch. This Easter weekend, I want to ask all of us three big questions. They're on the backside of your song sheet. Three big questions. The first one is this. Have you ever benchmarked yourself against the absolute perfection of a holy God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken time to just sit quietly and think? The words come out of your mouth and you say, man, in comparison to God's perfection, I am a wretch. There's actually, initially, a sense of relief. Better yet, you will open up to the most beautiful concept in the universe. It's the word the song calls amazing. It's the concept of grace. Grace. The concept of grace, which leads me to the second big question that I want to propose to you this morning. Have you ever beheld grace in all its beauty? Have you ever beheld grace in all its beauty? John Newton said at a certain time in his life, he was blind to grace. He couldn't see it. See the line at the very end of verse 1. I was blind, but now I see. Underline that. Was blind. I was blind. It says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How many of you can relate to that line? How many of you were once blind to grace? I can certainly relate. I was blind to grace for many years in my life. I grew up in a family where where there were certain expectations and and I grew into the sense of of wanting to perform for God trying to be perfect in order to please God not recognizing how big this force of grace is in my life and the day that I recognized it was a day that God just just moved me it was it, 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 when when you first get a glimpse of grace it, it's like peering over the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and you see how, in, you see pictures of it, but when you finally experience it and you peek over and you see how incredibly vast and great the Grand Canyon is, it almost takes your breath away. That's what grace does. When you first experience it and you recognize the force of it in your life. Millions of people today are blind to Grace. Perhaps many in this auditorium this morning are blind to grace. If you give me your attention for the next few minutes this morning, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you might behold grace in all of its beauty, maybe even for the first time this morning. In fact, you might even say, I just can't believe it. I I can't believe that it's real. It, it It goes against the competitive production and justification bones in my body. I hope you can see it in the next few minutes. All right, here we go. All right, you prepare your taxes, you sign your forms, you write out your check, and as you take the envelope to the mailbox, you smile and say quietly to yourself, no one's ever going to know. This can be agonizing. For self-righteous people it can be terrifying but you know once you do it there is a kind of liberation that occurs when you lay down all of that and you recognize that you are in fact a wretch in comparison to God It's like it's like if you ever tell a lie you, you tell somebody a lie, and then that, you, you think about that all day long, and you think about that all night long, and it just eats at you, and eats at you, and eats at you, and eats at you. And eats at you and Hold that thought. Same scenario, round two. Same situation, tax fraud, same audit, same conviction, same sentence, three years. But for some reason, the judge says that if you serve the first two years of your sentence then I will let you go free that third year. We'll put a GPS locating device on your ankle, and you can live with your family. That is called mercy. That is called mercy. And mercy is this, getting less than you deserve. Catching a break. It's it's getting less than you deserve. Now hold that thought. Scenario number three. Tax fraud. Same crime. Same audit. Same conviction. Same sentence. Three years. But this time, the judge walks across the street with you as you head to the county jail to turn yourself in. And you're about to walk into that cell, and he turns to you, this judge, and he says, you know what, I think the world of you. Now, because I took a vow to uphold the law, I can't just cancel your sentence but what I can do is this, and you watch as he slips past you into the jail cell and he pulls the door around and locks it on himself. And then just so that you understand him, he repeats again and he says, I think the world of you. And from inside the jail cell, he says, I can serve this sentence on your behalf and I can set you free and at that moment for the first time the scales fall off of your eyes and you behold the force of grace which is receiving a gift that you don't deserve grace is receiving a wonderful gift that you don't deserve so so you blink you pinch yourself to make sure that you're not dreaming And you gasp like you did when you first saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. And you start saying things and thinking things like, this is too good to be true. This can't be real. When is somebody going to jump out from behind something and say, gotcha, and, and cuff me and stick me into a cell? But the judge just takes a seat on the metal cot in the cell and he says, I want you to hear me say it again before you have to leave. I think the world of you so go out and in this three years make something of your life. Do something terrific for the next three years and you stumble out of that jailhouse to the bright light of day and you hold your head you just hold your head saying this is amazing. Uh, this is amazing. I should be in that jail cell. This is amazing and I repeat my second question before I move on to the third. Have you ever beheld grace in all its beauty? Was there ever a time in your life when you were blind to it and the scales fell off and you saw it? Christ took your punishment on himself. He didn't just snap his fingers and say, oh, it went away. No, he was nailed to that cross. He gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Because he thinks the world of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16 says. And maybe you're starting to see it for the first time as I've been talking about it here this morning. And you're saying, though, it's too good to be true. What's the fine print? Where is it? The joke's on me, right? And I'm saying, listen to what God is saying to you this morning. You can't earn it. He has paid the price. He offers the gift. You can just receive it. it. It, in essence, is too good to be true, but it is true. And it is amazing. It's possible that you're here today and for the very first time. This has clicked. Maybe you've been attending church for 20 years. Maybe you've been attending Easter services for 30 years and you've never heard it explained this way. You've never really truly understood it. The force of grace has never hit you like it has this morning. The blinders have come off. We sometimes live with blinders on, don't we? We we either think that we do deserve it and we don't see it, and I think that's becoming more true in our culture today. We think we deserve things that we we really don't. The things that we get are are truly gifts, but somehow we think we deserve them. We either think that we do deserve it and we don't see it, or we think that, that we're just all too much of a wretch, and God could never forgive us. That's why it's so amazing. The force of grace, maybe today you get it. And that is wonderful. And and you're going to have an opportunity in a few moments to to express this. But first, one more concept, one more word. In the top bar of amazing grace, it says right there, when, verse 3, when we've been there... Are you totally sure this Easter about there? And isn't it amazing that that John Newton uses the word there and we all all know exactly what there is that he's talking about? And I agree wholeheartedly that it is incredibly presumptive to make a statement that anybody could be sure about heaven. I I think it's presumptive if you make that statement And you think that somehow it's you that's earning it. God says that it's a gift. I wouldn't have a shred of hope for heaven if I had to fly straight enough, live righteously enough, have pure enough thoughts. I am by my own admission, I am a wretch. I've got too much ground to make up and I could never meet the perfection standard of God. I can't earn it. And what's the definition of grace again? (laughs) It's receiving a wonderful gift that we don't deserve. Okay, fasten your seatbelts and look at this scripture passage with me up on on the screen. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This does not come from you. We need to hear that over and over and over again, don't we? This does not come from you. It is the gift of God, not of our earning or striving by our bootstraps. It's not by us cleaning up our act, not by works so that no one can boast. This passage and others in the Bible are what moved John Newton to write this most famous enduring song in the world. This passage and others like it move millions of Christ followers to tears when they sing Amazing Grace at a church or at a funeral or in the car at night. says that oftentimes people will tell him that they aren't sure that they're saved and they'll ask him how can how can I know how can I know and he said sometimes when if he doesn't have a lot of time he will ask them one question and it will be this he will ask them do you cry when you sing amazing grace and and they'll look at him and go what he says well it's a pretty good test because if you've experienced the knowledge of your wretchedness And you know you can't fix it. And if you know the definition of grace, that it's receiving a wonderful gift that you don't deserve, and you have received Christ into your life, and he has made heaven available to you in this whole package, and when you sing amazing grace, it stirs you. It triggers emotions. And if that hasn't happened to you, you might be a really good guy and a really good gal but you just might still be blind to grace because once you see it and experience it it is different in just a moment again we're going to stand and we're going to sing that song but I've got three minutes and three more little assignments I want to give you so get your pens take this out once again to the song side I want you to go to the word wretch one more time. It's in the first verse on the second bar. Remember the first question of the day, have you ever benchmarked yourself against the absolute perfection of a holy God? If that's true for you and you have, and you're sitting here this morning and you would say, yes, yes, Compared to God, I am a wretch. Would you put your first name in that line right there after the word wretch? Now, remember, we're not talking about anyone else, so don't put your wife's name. Don't put your boss's name. This is about you. Have you benchmarked yourself? You call yourself what John Newton called himself. And frankly, if, if you say, as you look at your life and you say that you have benchmarked yourself and you would say, I'm not a wretch, then don't put anything there. If that doesn't fit you but for the rest of us that have benchmarked ourselves and like John Newton we realize we are a wretch then put your first name in that line now go to the last six words of the first verse was blind but now I see remember the second big question have you ever beheld grace in all its beauty have you ever had have you ever had your prison cell occupied by him He is serving your sentence. Jesus has set you free. That's grace. He serves you. He's given you a gift that you don't deserve. Remember Jesus taking your place on that cross. And he said, I'm doing this because I think the world of you. I love you. For by grace you have been saved. Can you see grace? Do you see it? Have you seen it? Maybe you remember the exact day where you experienced the grace of God for the first time and the blinders were taken off. If you know the day, if you know the date, the day, the year, write that in that space right there that's that's behind the word I see. Maybe for you it was more like a season. Maybe it was the fall of 2001 or Christmas 2015. Maybe it was an era. Put that in there. Maybe it was today. If it was today, if you're sitting here this morning and for the first time the blinders have come off and you realize before a holy and righteous God that you are a wretch and you behold the beauty of God's grace in your life, put Easter 2016 then there's one last line to deal with that last verse four words in when we've been there when we've been there here's the third question are you totally sure about there? You winding up in heaven remember we agreed that no one should be totally sure about heaven if you're thinking it has something to do with you and your efforts that you can earn because you can't earn it we've learned that it is a gift it's a gift of God it's a gift of his grace and it just goes to people who surrender their life to Jesus based on his sacrifice as our Messiah so on that little line after when we've been there would you simply write if this is true for you a gift It's a gift. Now you have another option. You can write in that line instead, it's a merit badge that I intend to work to deserve the rest of my life. Write that if you want. I think it's a bad plan. But the rest of us, if you understand the Bible and you say, it's a gift that I receive, write a gift. Now have you all done that? Is everybody finished with our little project this morning. If you are, I would ask that you would stand to your feet right now, because in just a moment we're going to sing this great song, Amazing Grace, so please stand. Now, how many of you heard this message this Resurrection Sunday, and it just underscores what you've always believed and what you always have known, how great and incredible the grace of God is. And if that's true for you here this morning, celebrate it. Continue to celebrate it. The concept of amazing grace. Do you remember that old management guru, Peter Drucker? Peter Drucker, in the later years of his life, um, became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and was asked, why? Why at this time, at this age in, in your life, would you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? And he said this, when you understand grace, why wouldn't you? When you understand grace, why wouldn't you? Receive it anew every day from God. Revel in it. Celebrate it. Let God's grace transform you into a gracious person. As Christians, we should be the most gracious people on the planet, always thinking of others as ourselves. We should be stirred and transformed by this grace people that you work with, think of the people that you really don't like to be around you know honestly an unloving person is a person who hasn't experienced true love an unforgiving person is someone who hasn't been forgiven and as believers in Christ who have been transformed by the force of grace, we can extend that to them we can bear witness to it We can pray that it will transform them. Maybe you have lots of friends. The blinders are on. Start praying today that they would come off. That they would find their way. And then tell them. Look for an opportunity to share. Maybe your experience here this morning with them. Maybe it's, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I experienced something that Easter 2016 that I've never experienced before. That's the force of grace. Now some of you have seen grace and experienced it for the very first time today and I don't know, maybe you all have experienced it before but maybe there's someone here who hasn't and you know what, if you put Easter 2016 on that line that was blind but now I see, could you just raise your song sheet in the air? Don't be afraid, just raise it in the air. Did anybody experience it for the first time this morning? Prayer is that that you have been reminded this morning, as we celebrate Easter, the incredible force of God's grace. Let's sing that song, "Amazing Grace." See Days we're going to start this Transform series. We'd love to have y'all join us for that. Maybe you're looking for a church, like I said. Come check us out in Lingle. Um, it's ten miles. It's ten minutes. Um, make sure that you hit the Transform table on your way out. There's the camp table. Um, there's general information table. Uh, before we sing this last song, I would like to to pray for us here this morning. Let's pray. God, you are a God of amazing grace. And Father, your spirit is here and I pray it's filling us with the beauty of this incredible gift that you offer us. And Father, we're so glad that your system isn't built on justice because if it was, we'd all be lost. We, we would have gotten what we deserved and, and, and it would be terrible. Lord, we, know we, we need more than a break like mercy. We need a wonderful gift that we don't deserve, which you gave us in Christ Jesus. We are forever grateful people who prayed in Jesus' resurrection name on this Sunday. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this last song together.